Welcome to the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast, the untold stories of the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community. I'm your host, Guru Nishan. I was born and raised in this community, and the people of our community matter to me. And so I started this podcast several months ago in response to some of the silence that I had heard permeating. And I want to thank all of you that are listening to the stories and the courageous survivors that are sharing their experiences. I want to thank you for sharing this podcast. I want to thank you for your donations. And if you'd like to contribute to this podcast, you are welcome to at gurunishan.com slash uncomfortable conversations. More than anything, I ask that you share this with someone else and you encourage other people to listen actively with you. At the beginning of every podcast, I share the intentions. So there are 11 of them. Number one, to break the veil of silence that is long permeated and continues to strangle the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community in the name of neutrality. Number two, to validate and help clarify the complex feelings of those who have joined this lifestyle, were born and raised into it, and or who have practiced or taught kundalini yoga. Number three, to encourage active listening to uncomfortable conversations from our community as a revolutionary act of self and collective healing. Number four, to let survivors know that we see them, we hear them, we believe them, we love them, and we will fight for their truth to be addressed. Number five, to let teachers who are denying, gaslighting, or spiritually bypassing know that what they are doing is willfully ignorant and re-traumatizing victims. Number six, to illuminate the inherent racism, homophobia, cultural appropriation, and exploitation that perpetuates the teachings, 3HO lifestyle, and overall community ethos. Number seven, to stop the perpetuation of gaslighting and victim shaming by naming it for what it is. Number eight, to dismantle internalized shame, guilt, toxic positivity, and light washing mentality. Number nine, to honor all of the parts of ourselves that have been forgotten or silenced. Number 10, to honor each and every body that has come through our community, both named and unnamed. And number 11, to encourage people to do their own research, process their own emotions, to get somatic therapy and other therapy and support as needed, to draw your own conclusions, and to be critical thinkers rather than to just blindly follow anyone. Please remember that your story matters. Please share it when you're ready. We're here to listen and to support you. On today's episode, I'd like to welcome our guest, Jiwan Elizabeth Carr. She found Kundalini Yoga in 1994 when she sought help and attended a holistic therapy center where she met Shiv Chudan Singh, the founder of the Kadam Kriya School in Europe, who was the head counselor there. In 2001, she qualified as a Kundalini Yoga teacher at the Kadam Kriya School, and in 2005, she went to India with her daughter, 
born in 1995, who enrolled at MPA. After five months in Amritsar, Jiwen moved to Dharamsala, where she met her future husband. In 2008, they married. She and her husband moved to London in 2012, where they live currently. Her daughter, Karta, joined them a year later after graduating MPA in 2013. Karta is now, sorry, Jiwen is now at college studying hairdressing, finally feeling the joy of learning. I want to welcome you, Jiwen. Thank you for being here. Hello, good afternoon. <laughs> Thank you for being on the podcast today and for reaching out. Tell me, um, having me. yeah, what, what inspired you to feel like you wanted to share your story? Um, well, I've, I've very strong feelings, um, um, mental health issues um have troubled me all of my life um and i don't i was around the kundalini community and those issues were never addressed and i feel that um actually it's not a good place for anybody with that sort of issue to be around um probably people would disagree with me but from from my experience my healing came in a much more mundane way where i began to actually address some foundational things um much later on after years of being on that you know so hmm. yeah i think it's um thank you i don't I... think it's addressed i don't think it's understood and uh, most teachers don't know their ass from their elbow when it comes to sort of post-traumatic stress or depression and these things yeah absolutely you're trying to get out of hole you're going to get knocked out mm. thank you you're bringing up a very important topic when it comes to mental health and the idea of yoga or yoga counseling or yoga healers or any of those things that aren't necessarily trained in, in mental health and a meditation isn't always what should be prescribed. So it's a very interesting and important topic to discuss. Mm -hmm. I know I just read your bio, um, but besides that, I don't know much of your own story. So do you want to um, bring us to the place you'd like to start? Um, I feel like the place I'd like to start is um, about three or four years ago, um, I'm waitressing in a cafe and, um, you know, it's kind of something that I'm used to doing, but I'm struggling to even get to work and I'm sort of very anxious, um, getting lots of images coming in my mind, I can't concentrate and I'm thinking to myself, you know, what's going on, I can't get in the present moment because all these images are there and... Uh, finding very small things a great uh, deal of difficulty to do and it just wasn't fitting with my situation and um, so I decided long story short I went to get some help now I stayed away from mainstream doctors for various reasons um, but I went to my doctor and I said listen I'm not coping I don't know what's going on he sent me for counselling so I went, um, we have the NHS in England. So I had, um, um, I got a counsellor basically. And they, if they gave me a, a session, they evaluated me and uh, assessed me rather, sorry. And um, basically offered me a, a system of counselling. And she said, what you're suffering from is post-traumatic stress and recurrent depression. And I was gobsmacked, I'd never heard never thought of myself like that you know and that's something that happens to you know Vietnam veterans or something like that but looking at all the paperwork she gave me I was amazed that there were 
certain things written down. And I thought, well, that's what's going on with me. You know, it was so strange to see it written down. It gave some space. So basically I, I started having um, account the counseling and the woman that was my counselor, she was um, the lead supervisor there. So she really knew her stuff. Um, good job that I liked her. Otherwise I think I would have run away. Um, so she took me through, yeah, she's very, you know, even to start the counselling, she did about six weeks first of, of groundwork, explanations, preparing. Mm. And then we started um, what they call in CBT and um, it's called a reliving process. So whereby you relive um, trauma that's happened to you in the past. My past, with, my trauma was in my childhood and I haven't been able to deal with it until then. So um, what, what surprised me was when I was going through this process, I was becoming aware that my brain was kind of reordering itself and it was a biological thing kind of happening. It wasn't just an emotional thing, which I thought counseling would be. Mm. So again, a bit more space between me and my trauma and, oh look, there's a process happening. Um, so in short, I did about just over 10 months with this, with this lady. And, um, it's, she explained it to me that when we have a, a trauma happen, the brain can't process it. It gets stuck. Um, and you know, normal memories, it folds up and puts away in files, if you like, whereas trauma gets stuck and, and not processed and going through the reliving process, um, which wasn't easy. It's not, you know, very difficult and very personal and very, you know, delicate process to go through. Um, yeah, that helped with all those those things. And um, so after about a year of it, and also the end, the end of the, the counselling, she said, well, we're going to finish the counselling in a month's time, like four sessions time. So there was an exit plan. So I knew that was coming and we were going to look at this, this, this all in stages and I knew what was coming um, and quite frankly I was just kind of really amazed at this process and this professionalism mm. um, now at the end of that 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 process the images stopped coming um, I was more able to cope with situations in life and I was functioning again you know um, it gave me a real handle on things you know and this is no sort of very fairy stuff. There's no temples, no bells, no angels. This is like from the NHS, God bless them, yeah? Mm -hmm. So at the end of it, I remember saying to my daughter, you know, I'm, I'm feeling better now. And she said, yeah, mum, she said, you shout less and, and you laugh more. <laughs> so it, yeah, it, yeah, it helped. It really helped me. Um, the first time I had that. So, the reason I'm saying that is because um, when back in when 1994, when I was at um, like a therapy type centre, it was very light sort of approach. Um, but Shiv Charan Singh, that's where I met him. He was the head counsellor there. So it wasn't Kundalini Yoga that I came across. It was counselling that I thought I was having. So I had many, many, many one-to-one -one sessions with him. But, you know, when I look back now, at what was working for me, that that definitely didn't work for me. <laughs> what was going on there wasn't professional. 
he wasn't accountable. Got it. So what I hear you saying was that when you, in 1994, when you found that healing center and what you were getting counseling and therapy, now you're understanding that wasn't actually a framework of counseling housed in research of how the brain is operating per se. Once you got this counseling a few years ago, now you're able to kind of like juxtapose the difference. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Absolutely. It was, um, you know, real, real revelation for me, you know, and um, I fight that with Kundalini Yoga, there is an awareness of what, what post-traumatic is. It's not for them to diagnose it. Um, you know, depression is the whole umbrella of mental health. It's not the place to, to have to, to be, you know, when, when you've got those issues. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what you found wasn't walking into Kundalini Yoga in 1994. That's a correction in the bio. You found this healing center that was therapy and you were having therapy sessions with Shiv Chudan Singh long before you got into Kundalini Yoga. And now you can see the difference between that therapy and the therapy you had just recently that was really addressing your PTSD. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it was an interesting process um, with Shooting Trust on the Bone Road in London, and he was the head counsellor there. Whereas recently, it sort of occurred to me, I don't think he's got any counselling qualifications at all. So, um, you know, other than, I suppose, the humanology and all the, all the other Yogi Bhajan stuff, you know, uh, I might be wrong, but I don't think so. So, so that centre that I was at, after something there, he left. I'm not, I'm not sure if he was pushed, but, you know, the following person that came there to take over was um, like a professor, you know, like mainstreams, they were. Okay, so, yeah. And then after some time, um, I carried on ha having the sessions with Shiv Charan Singh. And um, I remember clearly in, in one session, I was feeling you know, um, a bit, and you being a single mother, and I was hers when I went to the, went to the center. So the point is, he knew I was a vulnerable person. That's what I wanted to get across. Mm. Um, anyway, so one of the sessions um, with Shiv Charan, I remember I was, I was in quite a bay, um, in my emotion and uh, not functioning very well. And I was, you know, I said to him, well, I always be like, you know, I said, um, I, I, and I said, I wish I could meet somebody. I wish I could find a partner. And he really yelled at me. He said, partner, a man. He said, a man would just get in the way of the teachings. And I was stunned. Wow. This is the point where I came away and I thought, what the fuck was that? Teachings, what teachings? I just, I didn't get and I was too, lots of things went in, <clears throat> you know, they went in, in, in. <clears throat> and uh, sorry, I've got to clear my throat. <coughs> and I wasn't able to respond. It didn't make sense. So for a while, I was thinking, teachings, what teachings? Because you hadn't practiced Kundalini Yoga yet, so you don't even know what the teachings are? 
I never heard of Kundalini Yoga, and I haven't heard of Yogi Badman either. So wow! So you're just doing counseling sessions with him, with Chip Chat and Singh, and then he yells at you yeah. this one time and says that'll get away of the teachings, but you hadn't even practiced Kundalini or learned about YB or any of it. No, nothing. nothing. Fascinating. You know, I mean, he talks a lot about numbers. Um, and it was interesting. I mean, you know, uh, it was, <laughs> I, never, I was kind of mesmerized by him, to be honest. Um, I kind of cringe at saying that, but, you know, um, I'd never met anybody looking like that, you know, turban and a knife. And, you know, um, he's kind of, he's a pretty much a gangster with words. There's a lot to sort of, uh, you know, it's interesting, you know. It's, I just want to highlight that phrase. I've never heard it before, but a gangster with words. This is you're so powerful. You. I'm telling you. You're... Yeah. The circular. You're around, around circles, Andrew, if you try. Yeah. <laughs> That's the polite way of saying it anyway. Well, another way of saying it is the word salad. It's kind of like this. We see it a lot these days where it's like saying a lot, but not saying anything at all. And so it seems so deep and expansive and, you know, like what you're saying, I think the word mesmerizing is a very good word, you know, kind of mesmerized. So you're kind of taken aback as if there's some mystical wisdom that this person is translating that you don't yet know how to absorb. And there's that there's that element to it, at least it sounds like. I mean, one time in the counselling session, it's just come into my mind. I remember going in there, you know, I'm worried about paying my rent and the gas and the electric and, you know what I'm saying, I'm in that kind of situation. And I'm telling him all these things. And he said to me, you know, one day you will start a new religion. I'm thinking, a new religion? I can't even cook a dinner at the moment, you know. <laughs> it's so many things like that I don't think I've ever said this to anybody and it's just making me it's just bringing it up you know so I kind of thought I thought god I don't think I could do that you know <laughs> sort of a bit of a tall order wow <laughs> I haven't even got to Yogi bloody hell <laughs> wow okay so you're in counseling sessions for several years mm-hmm Oh, God, now where am I? Um, oh, then, um, okay, so Shivtran leaves this uh, this therapy centre and um, he carried, I carried on having se sessions with him at his house. And then I think the sessions, many, many people were coming. So he started um, teaching at, at, um, at a centre and then more people came. And there was, the first thing was um, a numbers class followed by... Um, a kundalini yoga class so that's where the kundalini yoga comes in um, and I started to attend I started to attend the numbers class I was always a bit shy of the yoga I wasn't never really a, a great yogi I did like the I did like the chanting and um, I did enjoy listening to him he's very very knowledgeable um, and I've never heard people say things you know like you know your spine is my spine and kind of all this stuff about the stars and the moon and you know this sort of thing Hmm. Interesting. I'm not familiar with the Karam Kriya school, but I do know it had a, um, something to do with yeah, numbers and numerology and that it was like the school that, that he started in Europe that housed what eventually him and his wife started doing as the European teacher training 
spot, so to speak. Well, okay. Um, so, yeah, Shiv Charan, as far as I know, was um, a student of Yogi Bhajan. Mm -hmm. And um, Yogi Bhajan gave, na gave a name for the work that Shiv Charan was doing. In fact, we were told that he, he said that Yogi Bhajan gave two people names for the work they were doing. One of them was Satnam Rasayan and the other is Karam Kriya. Mm. So they're the two special ones that get, get a name for the work that they're doing. Interesting. Interesting. Um, I know that when I taught at the European Yoga Festival, it was, you know, he was a, a class act teacher, so to speak. Everybody wanted to go to his things and it was quite a big school and I was aware of it and there was a lot of buzz and energy around it. And again, having to do with the numbers as you're talking about and the, you know, astrological number numerology combined with the yoga science and all these types of things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. At least that's the way it was marketed. Yeah, um, yeah I, I never liked the words Karam Kriya. I never understood it. Um, yeah, I, it, it's all a bit abstract, really, to be honest with you. It's quite hard to take in. Um, you know, at times it was very kind. I mean, I really can't sort of say enough that my emotional state wasn't very good. Um, and um, it gave me somewhere to go. Um, and I guess something to kind of hang on to, to, to be fair. Mm -hmm. So now the thing is with the Satnam Rasayana, I remember always being very expensive. It, I mean, back sort of 20 years ago, it was like 150 quid a pop, you know, I don't know why a healing session should be so much money. Um, and I never liked that side of um, Kundalini yoga or the healing work. I find that, yeah, I've got, I've got some things to say there, but mm -hmm. yeah, Shiv Charan was um, more, um, he would let you have a discount and things like that, you know, so yeah. Okay. So you started doing the Kadam Kriya School, which means you said you qualified to do teacher training. So you decided to do teacher training at Kadam Kriya in 2001 so this is six years six or seven years of doing counseling before you decided to do the school mm -hmm. yeah 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 I mean I struggled through the kundalini yoga teacher training but I qualified and um I then went on to teach um classes of my own um um, yeah, I, I, it seemed quite strange that within a year, all of a sudden, I was sort of able to teach people. And, you know, when I was teaching, I'd have a group of people in front of me. Then when you say something like, you know, sit up straight, the whole class sits up straight. I thought, bloody hell, you know, the power in this kind of thing. You know, <laughs> this is a, one thing I need to say is I'm not a professional person. I'm, you know, when I left school at 16, I went straight into a factory. And um, that's my background. Mm. So it's, I think to be a Kundalini yoga teacher, if you are, I don't know, an osteopath or, you know, a profession, got a profession, then maybe it's a different thing. You know, I'm just, a, I was just a factory girl. Mm. So um, it was all very new to me being around these, this type of people. It was a very, the first time I heard the word middle class was when I was around um, Shiv Charan and, I was saying to him, you know, why are these people, they were doing so well, you know, they're sort of, they go skiing and play tennis and, you know, this kind of thing. And he says to me, oh, these are just normal people. The question that needs to be asked is why were you born in the dregs? 
So I <laughs> always had a bit of a guilt, like I'd done something. He seemed to know about past lives. There was many times where he would refer to a past life or this kind of thing, which is quite sort of, you know, wow. And I felt a bit guilty because I thought, wow, this is some bad karma. You know what I mean? I'm, <laughs> I'm here studying with you. It must be bad karma. I remember, for example, one time I had a dream that I had some gold coins and I was giving the gold coins to him. And he says, um, what was it? Oh, yes, money you owe me from a past life. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> you know, at the time I'm, I'm sort of sitting there like, you know, just not knowing what to say. It's, these things have come up, you know. So anyway, I'm in the uh, Kundalini Yoga, um, on the Kundalini Yoga circuit. I'll have a couple of classes at some gyms and various places like that. You know, running up and down. A Kundalini Yoga is definitely not the religion of the householder. It's like the worst thing. It's hectic, hectic. You're just trotting up and down buses and cut. Oh, my God. Um, and also the clientele. You know, I'm not happy being in a the class. They're all in, you know, spandex and you know this kind of a gym scenario so I started teaching in a homeless center and prison and places like that yeah it was a bit more comfortable for me mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah I still felt you know I'm I'm I've just got a year of of a teacher training and yet here I am and to be honest with you it makes me cringe when I was in the classes I was gradually becoming aware I would say things stuff that I'd learned on the is it the humanology or the, the, the YB stuff and Shiv yeah. Charon's words? I was spouting shit, man. It, was, it wasn't my words. And part of me kind of, you know, I kind of liked the class. I sort of felt like, ooh, I've gone up in the world here, you know. But it wasn't mine. It wasn't my words. And that, that became clearer and clearer. And I thought, I don't know what I'm talking about here. But, mm. So I got kind of stuck. On, on, with those thoughts. Mm -hmm. So then how did it carry on? Did you, what, what happened from there? What happened from there? Um, well, you know, with me and my daughter, um, I'm running about doing all these classes. Um, She's coming back from school on her own at, you know, seven, eight years old um, with a key around her neck, you know, to get in and waiting for me to come home. And I'm just not liking, I wanted to get away. I really wanted to get away and have a new life. But, you know, where do you go when you've got, got a child, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, one time I went to see uh, Shiv Charon and he said, I was, I was saying to him, look, I'm really worried about the situation. I'm, I'm not coping very well. Okay, I'm this great yoga teacher. But when I go home, it's just not doing, not being a very good householder or a very good mother, you know, um, drinking a lot and things like that when I came home, which is the, like a big split between the person I was in class to the person I was at home. You know, it's like the lie was getting louder. Um, yeah, really, 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 I don't know. I felt quite like really tired up all this. Long story short, uh, he said, there's a school in India, uh, Miripiri Academy, 
And um, I, we didn't know about this school in England, by the way. I know the Americans do tend to know about it because you've done generations going there. For, for us in England, I don't think there was any English people going there at that time. Um, so I decided to, um, you know, go for it, for, to try it. And uh, it said that there were people, you know, jobs going at MPA. So I thought, well, that's the way I can pay for it. I can uh, get a job at MPA and then she can go and I would, uh, yeah, pay for her like that. Okay. Yeah. So I applied for the job and uh, didn't get it uh, because they then realised I was her mother. So at MPA, they don't have mothers and children working together at the school it's too complicated or and they didn't know me either so you know um yeah so they wouldn't hire you but you had already uh, applied to send her to go well i <laughs> i hadn't even applied to send her to go uh, long story short uh, i just um, his wife and his son. Okay, so um, yeah, I decided to take the risk and uh, to go to India. I, I always wanted to get out of London and, uh, you know, looking for a different way. I've always been looking for a different way of life, you know, and uh, so I've decided to go anyway. Um, at that time, uh, Shiv Charan's wife was going to India as well and they decided to send their son so I went with her on the plane and uh, so basically MPA was expecting I think four children from England that's how it went one of them had dropped out but my daughter and I we were going along as well um, so we arrived in India um, went to MPA and I just remember the school being in complete chaos hmm. um, uh, how to, so uh, the other children go off and do what they're doing. And now I, I haven't even signed any papers. I haven't done anything. <laughs> and I didn't have the money for it either. I just thought I'd go and look. I was chancing it, you know. And uh, I then um, went up to the spiritual life director and I said, oh, we're the ones from England. And I was just about to say, oh, well, I haven't actually got the money for it. But at this time, a big bus pulled up full of returning students and Amrit Singh said, doesn't matter, whatever it is, we'll work it out, send her that way. So off I went with my daughter and handed her over basically. Um, yeah, it was, um, so I left her there. I went off for a couple of weeks. I stayed at the Golden Temple in the accommodation there. Um, and, uh, you know, just let's see how she got on type of thing. And so you and didn't know how you were going to pay for the that. school. You just knew that you would figure that out later. They didn't ever ask you about tuition or any of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fake it till you make it and, you know, believe in miracles and <laughs> do this one. It'll be all right. All right. Sounds like some mystical <laughs> training. Chance, you know, <laughs> it wasn't really, really. I mean, yeah, it was a chance basically. Okay, um, 
So after about two weeks, I thought, you know what, I'm going to have to phone them and like fess up and say, look, I know I've dropped my daughter there, but I haven't got the money kind of thing. So I rang and I spoke to Amrit Singh and I said, look, I'm going to have to come and uh, take Carter take Carter out of the school. And he said, oh, why, why is this? So I said, well, I said, I don't have the, um, the money for the school and all the rest of it. And he said, yes, but, you know, what is the real reason? And I said, I don't have the money for the school. And he said, well, she's, she's getting on okay here. So I thought, yeah, but it's no good getting on okay. For me, this stuff sits very heavy. It really weighs me down. Maybe a more practical person, it wouldn't bother them so much. But for me, it really worried me. So he said, okay, come, come to the school tomorrow. You know, we'll sort it out. So I went to the school with her empty suitcase and I was met by Amrit Singh and uh, he took me, I was really surprised. I thought I was just gonna go and get my daughter, but he took me into the headmistress's office. There was three of them there, you know, big turbans and big sparkles there, you know, and I did feel rather small. Now they asked me, um, why do you want to take her out? So I said, look, I just cannot afford this. I mean, I was crying and all there is, you know. They said, look, she fits well in the school. For this one time, for this instance, we can get some funding from, I think this, I thought they said Mexico, but probably now looking back, New Mexico. I don't know who paid, but somebody paid for her that first year. Mm. And um, so that was it. I thought, you know, I had a word with my daughter, of course. It's been a long, long, not long negotiation, but I could see she was happy. She was there with about six or seven other girls. They're all 10 years old and she, she seemed happy. So I thought, I was thinking we'll give it a year and we'll see how it goes. And then we can make the decision. But when I was leaving, Amrit Singh came with me to the gate, you know, he said, okay, so, you know, we will, we will, we will sort things out, you know. Um, he said, look, he said, it's now time to let go to leave her here. You know, um, Yogi Bhajan set Mary Piri Academy up because he knew that the parents were so, his words was the parents were too fucked up to look after their children themselves. And the children needed to be taken away from the parents to give the children a chance to develop and to grow. And, you know, without all the parents baggage, you know, so they said, leave her here and go, you know? And I just, I nodded to it all and I said, I'm not leaving. She can stay, but I am not leaving. And he said, well, you will have a very hard time. <laughs> I just thought, okay. Some things in life, you know, I'm unsure about, but my instinct then, I wasn't going to leave my daughter there. No fucking way. Mm. So I knew I wasn't going to stay in the school. I'm not after a job. You know, my God, am I glad I didn't get that job. Oh, my word. The staff go through it as well at MPA. I was so glad I never got that job. Wow. So I continued to live in the Nivas, you know, the um, a hostel accommodation at the Golden Temple. Okay. Yeah, it was like 50, 50, 50 dollars, uh, not, what, not dollars, what is it? 50 rupees a night. Okay. And the school would go to Gold Temple on a Wednesday, I think, and a Saturday. So I would be, always be there and see her and watch her, you know. So I, I saw her a lot, you know. Beautiful. I didn't get in the way. I wasn't there to 
you know, I knew that I had to hand her over. There was, I did hand her over, but and I wasn't going to go and get in the way and, and all of that kind of stuff. But the thing was, I mean, okay, I'm not their responsibility. I'm a parent, but I am part of a community and I am a woman on my own in Amritsa. And you know what? When I was ever around the school, none of them would talk to me. It was like some kind of boys club, mm. even to the point where, you know, staff members I'm talking about, walk past me, just from straight past me. You know, I don't want the life story. I was just going to say hello and, you know, <laughs> just to be friendly. But I was actively, they, they don't know what friendship is. They can't say hello. You're all right, love. No, it's like, you know, flashing swords and all of that they can do, but they don't know friendship, just common decency. And, you know, when you're having a difficult time, even when you're not having a difficult time and someone just says, hello, you feel better, you know? Yeah. Wow. You're just talking about basic like humanity. Talking, I? Mm. Yeah. So I was, I was actively discouraged from being there. And I was, you know, I, I actually, because I had to find some work, that's always my priority. <laughs> I started teaching yoga at um, a rehab in Amritsa, at Circular Road in Amritsa. Hmm. So I was, I was busy doing that. So I had some little income. It wasn't well paid, you know. And I loved the Golden Temple. I loved the kitchens in, in particular. I worked a lot in the kitchens. Hmm. And, um, yeah, of course, had the food there. I really, really liked that, you know. That really helped me, really helped me a lot. Mm. But I missed my daughter so much. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't like being somebody that couldn't manage look after my daughter, but you know, that was the truth actually. Back then I was a bit of, um, I wasn't very together. And I felt that um, it was when I saw her with a little group of friends, you know, there I thought it's like a little family for her. And uh, I felt they could do a better job than me. And plus, I was free to go and do what I wanted. You know, there's many, many reasons. But yeah, it was a really, really lonely and very sad time, actually. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. And it sounds like you were there for several years. I, well, I, after five years, uh, after five months in... Um, the Golden Temple in the Nevast there. Um, and I was working at the working at the, the hospital teaching Kundalini Yoga. And the nurses at the hospital, they were really nice to me. And they said, Oh, Jeevan Core, we worry about you here in Amritsa on your own. You should go to Dharamasala. There's white people there and there's chocolate cake and pizza. You need to go there. You'd be better there. I heard about this mystical place, you know, where there's chocolate cake and pizza, you know, and other Westerners. So <laughs> that's what I did. So you left your daughter at MPA after the five months of you being at the Golden Temple at the Navas. And she was at school, so you were seeing her every time they came, like each week. But in general, you were discouraged from being at the school and... And then eventually ended up moving to Dharamsala because there was more Westerners. I was looking for community. That's why I went there. Mm -hmm. Looking for some connections and friendships. Mm -hmm. 
So she originally went there at 2005. You said she was nine or 10. And then you were there for that five months. In her first year, you were there. And then you moved to Dharamsala. Um, and how was she enjoying MPA? She, yes, yeah, she was, she was, a she was enjoying it. She, I used to always say to her, are you okay? You know, is any, anything happening to you that's not right? And she said, no, mummy. She said, I like my school. She always said she liked it. Good. You know, there were some, some things, but she, I could see her and I can feel her. And, you know, I was around, you know, if there had been the slightest sort of thought of anything not untoward, would have taken her out. Mm-hmm. So then what? So you moved to Dharamsala. It sounds like it was a couple more years that you were there before you met your husband. Uh -huh, I did, yes. Um, well, there was a cafe that I kept going to, you see, and um, where they made, where the lady there made lots of lovely croissants and, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I used to go to this cafe often and became good friends with the cafe owner. Well, more than friends, actually. I don't know what the how to, to describe um, the feeling with her, but, you know, very, a good connection, put it like that, you know, a real, real. Um, so I was going to this um, this cafe. There was a, yeah, there's a lot of Tibetans there. And, uh, you know, I was trying to learn Hindi and um, my I, different classes I was going to, they kept, finishing and people were leaving and one day this monk that come comes and goes from there I asked him I said hey I'm looking for a Hindi teacher do you know anybody that can teach me Hindi said, no 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 he went, oh yes okay so he gave he basically a long story short he gave my number to this friend of his that spoke Hindi okay <laughs> <laughs> and that ended up being your husband yeah the one who taught you hindi or the friend who passed it along the friend the friend who the, passed the it along oh the hindi teacher the hindi teacher became your husband yeah, he's a tibetan but he he was born there and uh you know okay. He, he, he yeah okay so a tibetan living in dharamsala and he's the one who taught you hindi and then you fostered a relationship and carried on Eventually, yeah. So this whole time when you're in Dharamsala and, and meeting your soon-to-be husband, um, are you going back to MPA to visit or you just kind of created that, kept that distance at this point? Um, no, I would go back about every month, you know, sort of just turn up somewhere at the Golden Temple and, you know, <laughs> they're just trying to get rid of me and I was thinking on. <laughs> So you'd just be at the Navas or you'd be at the Golden Temple because you knew every week they would come there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it was a way you would ensure to see. Yeah, sometimes, yeah, sometimes on a Saturday afternoon, um, I would take her out, things like that. I would always ask, I was asked them first and, you know, whatever was going on and, yeah, kept the contact. Okay. Kept contact. Mm. That mother, that mother bear instinct. Well done. <laughs> It's the light of my life. I just, I can't, you know, I don't have any family and I come from a very dark um, 
childhood myself and mm. there were issues there and I thought well I might not be a professional or anything but but I'm a mother I'm a mom yeah that's right <laughs> I'm gonna own that fiercely yes <laughs> so what else what else about this period do you want to share it sounds like you were there till 2012 ish yeah, we went back in the summertime. Um, so we had to go for visas and one thing and another. Um, but yeah, um, Carter stayed at MPA for eight years. And I used, I used to like it when I went there to, to see her. And, you know, she didn't just have friends um, her own age group. She had younger friends, older friends. And the children were, were nice, actually. You know, when I went there, there was, you know, a couple of them. They'd always say, hi, Carter's mom, you know, and... Um, yeah, that, that that was very nice. And actually, I want to say, actually, I do want to say something here. Um, so I spent time in the Tibetan community. And long story short, I thought, ah, oh, the Tibetan children, maybe they could come to Amritsa and play football at MPA. So this is after maybe, I think, four or five years. So I want to mention Amrit again, you see. Um, so I sent an email to Amrit, you know, very short email, maybe the, the Tibetans can come to Amritsa to play football. And the email came back and he said, yeah, sure, when? I thought, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it was really nice. So we did, I think about three different trips. And um, I must say, Amrit, um, he, he welcomed it. He embraced it. And uh, we, we did uh, three different trips, bringing Tibetans to uh, MPA to play football. I mean, the Tibetans always got thrashed. I think there was quite a few good German footballers at the school at the time, you know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, something could change then. It took a long time, I must say, but it's it, it, something could change. And uh, and actually, at one point, um, at the, the at MPA, they do the formation, so all the children are lined up and uh, Amrit Singh is telling the children, hey, we've got uh, the girls' basketball Tibetans are coming, you know, and he said to them, I heard someone tell me this, they said, Amrit said, now is your chance to come out of your bubble and mix with people. <laughs> and I thought, it was really nice, you know, and we had food at the school. Um, I think one of the parents paid for us to have a meal in one of the dubbers in town, and it was very, very nice. It was real, yeah. I think you're really bringing up an important point and I just want to pause because as much as there are um, horror stories and all sorts of um, historical and complex layers of abuse at, at MPA or at any of the India schools, there's also some very rich experiences of international culture and opportunity. And like you're saying, multi-age friendships, friendships that span the globe. This should not be discounted and it's important for all of us to hear um you know a lot of young people don't have a lot of good opportunities in any school they're going to in any country around the world and to be able to have an opportunity it, it it's different there's always going to be goods and bads but it's just it's an important element for us to speak out loud to say you know the global opportunity the the international connectivity these things these things matter. 
I mean, I don't know. I don't want to make it sound like it was all a lovely fairy story. Um, I was around, um, but I didn't know for sure of anybody else. I always wondered how the other kids were. It wasn't my place to to um, to you know to do anything. I never saw anything. But um, you know, institutions, institutions, those things happen, right? So, yeah. I'd encourage anybody that wasn't having a good time. Yeah, that institutional abuse happens in all institutions. And when they are happening, it's important that these institutions address them. Um, I also want to speak out loud that, you know, whether it's Amrit Singh or Jagat Guru or whoever the, the leadership, as much as there might be horror stories, they're also young men that grew up in our community and have been trained to the best of their capacity to do the best they could with their with their skill sets and the responsibility they were given. And again, I don't I don't know them per se, but what I'm hearing you say is just in this short time in terms of like your observation of your interaction with Amrit Singh and kind of the the narrative, well, you know, as a parent, you need to get out of here. Yogi Bhajan always said parents were too neurotic, kind of that old narrative. And yet then there were also some adaptations that you could see had shifted in terms of him lightening up or perhaps kind of lightening up, just creating a little bit maybe more human humanity along the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but the others never spoke to me though all that time. So there was very much the boys club thing going along. Um, I don't think Jagat Guru ever said hello, not once in seven years, you know. I think the boys club is a really important thing to think to 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 speak out loud about because they didn't learn that from themselves. This is a long history of what they stepped into as leaders to mimic and to um, carry on, so to speak. And I say this out loud because my mom left in 1979 and she talked about the good old boys club. She was saying how it was pretty evident back then that YB was forming good old boys club, that if a woman cheated, he sent the woman away and then the men all chummed it up. So I'm pointing out that the good old boys model didn't come from the young men who are running the school currently. It came from a long history of them emulating what leadership was presented. Learned behavior. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. So it's why a lot of this is so complex, because when one grows up in an environment, we become that environment and we perpetuate what we learn. And we don't always we don't often stop in life to say, is what I learned true? Is it resonant with my own values and who I am in the world? And sometimes we just carry on thinking we have to perpetuate the perfect example as a strong warrior leader and not taking the time to really assess. Yeah, you are talking about a school though and um, there wasn't anywhere to give any feedback or any kind of uh, reflection I didn't I don't think so um, so you know I think it, why did it keep going for so long I mean MPA has been going for a long time and I know that that boys club kind of um, mentality is usually something you know there's usually a lot darker stuff going on underneath to be quite frank, I've seen this in uh, the prison service and things like that. You know, it's a sort of a bullyish culture. That's right. You know, and that's one of the things, you know, we're, we're all this, that and the other and the new ones coming in. It's like, oh, God, you know, 
yeah, I, I, I don't know how it would be if I'd have had a boy. Yeah. Get in where you fit in. Oh, why did it? And yeah, it sounds like the boys had a lot, a lot more happening in terms of complex abuse than what was happening with the girls. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you're right that we're talking about an institution. You know, there's a level of 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 institutional responsibility that's that's different, right? It's not just a person carrying on abuse in their family. We're talking about perpetuated abuse that is showing up over and over again, even though the claim is it's changed. Every year it's it's changed. Look, something um my daughter got um an email i think it was last week or so um thinking about work at mpa um for mukia jeffrey um i don't really know the, the content of it but i, I said to her well, so what are you going to do you're going for it she goes no they're going yogi bhajan all the time so what do you mean and there's some sentence in it about sss you know like so basically, it was had a stamp on it still, and I thought, I heard that I thought, no way. <laughs> well, she she makes her own mind up. She's got a very strong personality herself. But so basically, what I'm saying is, no learning has, has happened. I don't know who's where, what, when, why, and all the rest of it. But it's, his 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 stamp is still on on the paperwork. So you're saying this is current, like in the last year. Last week. Oh, you're kidding. So she just got a letter trying to solicit her last week to work at MPA, and it's still the SSSC stamp saying approved by YB. So they're still using that language. I can't remember the exact words, but it was, yeah, it was, that flavor was there. Sure. No, so. And to add to that. The, um... Yeah, to add to that. That you know, there was a, a marketing email that went out by MPA, and a lot of us were quite disappointed because it didn't address anything. It didn't even acknowledge the last year of stories coming out or any of it. It just kind of like just kind of brushed over all of it and went right on into the idea of just reopening the school. It just it really felt like a a, a, a muted, um, non address non addressing anything that our community has been going through. And and. Until the shit is acknowledged, there's no progress. Right. MPA cannot go on as it was. I mean, I haven't been around the school since, when was it? I can't remember, 2012. But with that little bit in the letter, I thought to myself, don't really need to know anymore. You know, it's like, I can see where they're coming from. It's like, you know, wise up, guys. Mm -hmm. You know, what strikes me as well within the within the Kundalini Yoga community, if we call it that, You've got some wonderful people and throughout MPA, you know, there's, there must be people there with some amazing, ex, you know, valuable experience, people who have studied there in the past and, and would maybe be great at what they're doing, you know, to help to do something. But I don't know. I don't know. They need to come down from their ivory tower and look at the shit. Come sit in the shit with us all, huh? uncomfortable very uncomfortable to let ourselves unravel and hold all of this it is it's very uncomfortable i i mean i you know i find it really really just i was an adult 
okay, I was a vulnerable adult and I got involved with, you know, Carib Kriya, Kundalini Yoga, but I was an adult. Whereas when I've heard about children that were sent off to India, you know, years ago, no, it, like, it, this whole mentality, I was watching something out of the blue, I think it was about a South American dictator, and the way he broke down the place was to separate the children from the parents. I mean, what kind of, what kind of psychology, what kind of brainwashing? That just, it left me kind of like, you know, sometimes you get a word or a sentence and you think, oh my God, this was by design. Yeah. Why did he take the children from the parents? I find that really hard to, you know, that's. Well, I want to pause. That's, that's not right. Yeah, I want to pause here and just say that when studying or looking at high demand groups, and if you Google high demand group studies, it's academics that have studied historical formulas of of high demand groups or cults, and that's one of them, you know, is separating the children from the parents. It's just like part of this formula. It had nothing to do with a, a, a special teaching. No, it's um, it's really dark. I, I, I can't see how that can be. You know, there are some places that are orphanages, right, where you know, for instance, when the Tibetans came into exile, they were in a crisis situation. They had to, the children had to be away. It's, it, you know, they have to be in a boarding school. If you live up in a mountain and the school's down five miles away or whatever. But this was Westerners. It's just it's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why I didn't find it so shocking back then. I didn't know the history back then, to be honest with you. Yeah, I didn't know that there was was a a long history of a foundation of this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's so important why the stories be told now so that everyone has a chance to really listen to the history. You know, it doesn't matter what age or stage you come into these types of you know teachings or mystical curriculums but to be able to keep ourselves fully tethered to the planet and grounded and critically thinking requires us not to get all mystified Mm -hmm. by other people with special wisdom as if that innate wisdom isn't in us Mm -hmm. i mean there's there's such a wealth of um good people there you know and um to try to find a way i don't know how well i yeah i don't know is mpa is it going to happen again i don't know where, where it's at i don't have the answer there but you see the letters that we're seeing every time we see any sort of letter of, of promoting mpa you know there's that kind of conversation being circulated and and I just really think it's important that that we all, you know, make it clear. You know, there there are student, there are children that have had good experiences over there, and then there's plenty of children that haven't. So it's not a black or white thing. What it is, is that as an organization, as an institution, it needs to address all that's being brought up, the history, the legacy, the foundation in which it was brought on, and. Only then can we move forward in trying to find new solutions. But without acknowledgement, as you said. It basically just feels like it's the silence, the silence and the gaslighting formula repeating itself. 
Mm-hmm. And it really is a culture where, um, I don't know, there was, it was with, with the thing at MPA, I mean, it was so busy, there was never a time for conversation, you know, um, a, a lengthy conversation. It was whiz, whiz, whiz. So there needs to be some calming down and some dialogue. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what else? So then you end up going back to London, but your daughter stays at MPA for another year, and then she joins you back in London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had to, I mean, I had to go back to London to sort of uh, go and earn some money. I'd, um, I'd got funding from MPA, um, two lots of funding through, through most of her schooling, but the last two years, I just didn't want to be in a position of asking for funding again. You know, somebody had said something to me like, this is not a charity. And, you know, I felt fed up with filling out forms and trying to apply for stuff. So I, I went back to England, uh, which was really difficult, actually. Um, and that's where I really crashed down. Um, so there I was, you know. Yeah, just in a space in India of, of, of doing all of the trips and having you know doing that stuff but but going back to England yeah I like I, feel, <laughs> I haven't got the words for it I nearly didn't make it <laughs> mm. Mm. I didn't have a support system to go back to and uh, you know I had a load of debt and um, you know I went to do some work as a living carer so I was living in seven days a week and it was just really really unhealthy thing you know the whole sort of Zooming off, doing all the teacher, everything was so not householder. So you are still teaching at this point, or you're not? No, 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 no. I haven't. Taught, I won't. I'll never teach Kundalini Yoga again. I want to make that clear. No, I don't never. mean now. I don't mean um, now. I mean at the time you're telling the story when you went back to LA. I went back to London. Were you still like in the no, teacher? By the time you were in Dada Masala, you had pretty much stopped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did do some teaching because I, I, I taught um, at the prison in Amritsar, actually. Um, so I did that then. But after that, I think I didn't I didn't teach again. I didn't teach Kundalini Yoga since um, 2009. That's when it, I uh, finished this. <laughs> okay, so, so give us a sense of, like, your transition out. You know, your daughter's at MPA. Obviously, you're connected to the community, but a part of you is you're not... You're not in Karam Kriya anymore, you're not actively teaching? Um, it was a very difficult time coming back, really difficult time. Um, I had a, yeah, so it's gonna sound really stupid, but I had, um, you know, a council flat, which I'd given back to the council because I thought, well, I'm not coming back to London. I'm off to India. I was on, on a mission. I was very much on a mission, rushed off on a mission. I wanted to get away to India, but it was also this element of uh, God will provide and I'm going to do the next thing and the next thing. And then the ice got thinner and thinner. So when I came back to England, I didn't have a home to. So basically I, I spent, you know, I was on a friend's sofa. Thank goodness. But really, really rocky time. I can't, I it, it all crashed in then, you know. Sure. It was, uh, it, it 
yeah, it's a difficult, difficult one to talk about because um, I asked for help um, and I didn't get it. You asked and, for help uh, where? <laughs> well, I rang after I'd been in England about a year. Yeah, I'd been in England about a year and I'd been doing seven days a week and all the rest of it, sleeping on the couch, all this kind of stuff. No, I phoned Shiv Charon. And, um, you know, I told him I was back in England and he, he, before I'd even got past that sentence, you know, he just went, what did you come back from India for? And I said, well, I, I you know, I said, I had to come back and do some work and all this kind of stuff. And so I ran out of money. I just couldn't finance it all anymore. And um, he said, oh, you, your poverty consciousness brought you back. Um, yeah. And I'm found it very difficult. He said, you know, you just, the commitment wasn't there. There is a woman in the Punjab in India who runs a hostel for um, homeless children and she takes the, the babies from mothers who can't look after the babies. She doesn't even have a door. There's a window that they can pass the babies through. And she walks along with a smile on her face. And this, this is way, you know, I'm like, but you know, I'm, I'm on the sofa and you know, <laughs> it was, it was, bam. I never forget it. I, that was the point where it broke. I know it sounds probably stupid and I feel really stupid saying it all, but because I gave my home away, um, you know, in London, there's a shortage of houses. Um, it's a very, very difficult place to have a permanent home in London. And I had um, a council home, which didn't get lightly. I went through mother and baby hostels and homeless hostels, in a, you know, to get this flat. So, yeah. I was in a right old two and eight coming back. It was, it was, it was, I was really close to finishing it all then, if I'm honest with you. Do you mean killing yourself? Mm. Yeah. I had those, um, I had that, uh, that ran through my life. It's always been an issue. Yeah. And uh, I think that's why I contacted you actually, because I thought, I've often wondered, how's everybody else? How's everybody else? Is every are there anybody? Is there anybody that feels like that? I mean, probably no one does such a stupid thing. <laughs> but I didn't. Well, yeah. For for somebody who's from you know a very dark dysfunctional background and has had. They call it ideation. I never heard that word. So, yeah, suicidal ideation. Yeah. Stay away from Kundalini yoga. Get some real help. I... Yeah, let's pause here. I want to flag this. You're bringing up um, suicidal ideation, meaning like here you're reaching out for help. You had given up your home to go to India to kind of make this leap of faith. And then you come back and you're contacting someone who had been your counselor and teacher and guide. And what you get is yelled at and you get gaslit and you get put down as if you're not fulfilling something that you should be fulfilling. So basically the issue, you get made wrong. You get made to feel wrong. Yes. And yes. this is really important. I want everyone yes, to really hear this. Yeah. 
I want everyone to really hear what's happening here because in these vulnerable places, in these places where we need real mental health support, it does not help to have a counselor or a therapist or a teacher or a guide or a guru or somebody who professes to be anything all-knowing, knowing your destiny, karma, Akashic records, or anything of the sort. And then to be spun it around as if it's your fault. And this person's supposed to have mystical knowledge that knows something about you. This is a very vulnerable place to be. Yeah, really. Yeah. I honor you for speaking up here. Yeah, I, I, it's... <laughs> I feel rather stupid, you know, sort of people, you know, decent homes like that, you know, they're as rare as rocking or shit. You don't give them away, you know, and I gave it away, which, you know, I've, I've now living in, um, you know, I've got a nice place and I've got a little garden with this flat that I'm in now and, and I love my garden. But then, you know, we've been here five years in this flat but then the landlady, she's selling the house. And I'm thinking, oh, God, here we go again, you know. <laughs> and the point is, my flat wasn't just for me. That was my daughter's flat. I got that flat because I was a single homeless mother, you know. I think the last thing I said to Shiv Charon was when I met him back in 94, I was a homeless single mother. <laughs> okay, I'm married now. But when I, when I, the last time I saw him, I'm homeless again. That was, it's embarrassing. It's all right, not all right, but when you're younger, you can cope with these things. As you're getting older and you make the same bloody mistake, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's a bit. <laughs> Thank you for letting us see you here and to feel you here. <laughs> Am I mess? <laughs> it's messy and it's complicated and it's complex and you're, you're speaking to these really vulnerable places that we all find ourselves in regret and disappointment and uncertainty. And, and this is where we need the most amount of support and upliftment, right? Not, not um, wordsmithing. Yeah, for real. Yeah. Yeah, I was really shocked by that. Really shocked. So then was that kind of like when you severed connection with him after that? Or what happened from there in terms of your connection with Ship Chetan? Well, I mean, I hadn't seen him for a long time, for since 2009 anyway. But um, that's when inside me, crack. Okay. You know, finished. I just, I, anything he would say after that, not that I've spoken to him, would just be a load of shit. Okay. You know, that's, I, I, no, I finished. Yeah. So, you know. So this was some time ago. This was like um, 10 years-ish ago, right? 12. Yeah. So then, so then you obviously carried on, but when Premka's book came out last March, tell us about that for you. Can I Um, can I just put my heat in on? I'm freezing. So you could feel this kind of disconnection happen, like the connection for you severed when you felt his response. This is in 2012 and this kind of gaslighting and yelling back at you like it was your fault. And 
So you obviously had some years of needing to like rebuild your own life and find a location to live again. So obviously this is like a 10 year span before Premka book comes out. Maybe eight years or so. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't have much confidence. Sorry, gone. Yeah. Yeah, it was a long span and I didn't want to know about anything. I'm, yeah, so a lot, it's a long way. It, it, get my words right. It's a, it's a place to bounce back from, basically. And yes, it took a long time. So after, when was it? Last year, wasn't it, Prem Cosbook? Um, yeah, a friend of mine phoned me from um, the yoga days. Sorry. <coughs> and she was saying something about the book and Yogi Bhajan and was really charged. And I said, what are you talking about? She goes, I'll send you the book. So I got Premka's book maybe last, maybe March. And I read the book. Yeah. I wasn't that shocked, really, to be honest, you know, seeing the, the, the thing about the student teacher putting somebody on a pedestal and getting lost with it all. And there were things that had happened over the years that always had doubts around the whole 3HO thing, you know. Um, but there was one line in Premka's book which really um, was odd. It was odd. Um, she said in the book... Yogi Bhajan told her, one day you will go away from me and you will slander me. Shiv Charan said the same thing to me. What? You know, it's not, the, you know, it's, yeah. Said the same thing to me. When? And they said that in around, I, this is, this, I tell you when, I, I remember, because I remember the place he was living. Um, um, 96 97 so this is and I was after studying with him then yeah that was soon after you went 97 soon after sorry soon after you started uh working with him and and cut him Korea and all that yeah 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 uh, and I remember thinking oh no I'm I'm the sort of I'm devoted. I'll never do anything like that, you know. Uh, yeah, it, it's just another thing that when it feels like it's been in here and just stopped me somehow. Mm. Mm. But it was really striking to hear that. That's not, I've never heard anyone say that anywhere before. I find it so interesting, like you discovered that Yogi Bhajan said that when, when you read the book, when you read the Premka book, um, which, by the way, I want to say it's Pamela Sahara Dyson that wrote the book, and the book was called Premka. Her her old three H O name was Premka. Um, Sorry, yeah, yeah. So just just out of clarity and respect for her. Um, but to hear this repeated, it almost feels formulaic, like a part of kind of an early grooming energy of saying that, almost like as if there's kind of mystical wisdom that he knows telling you about you, which then creates this internal gaslighting where we begin to gaslight our own instinct and our own feeling. And it's a part of, I think, the impact 
of growing up or being around gaslighting for too long is we then internalize the gaslighting voice and we're doing that within ourselves instead of being critical thinkers to pay attention to what's actually happening. Oh, yeah. It's an odd thing, I thought. Yes. Yes, I can, I've only just come across the word critical thinking. Um, and I came across that word. Um, I have a friend um, who was involved with Buddhist Project Sunshine. And I read the report from Buddhist Project Sunshine and I saw the word high demand group. I thought, what's that? Me too. And, um, yeah. And even then it didn't click. So Prem, this is what I want to say. Okay, so this, this, sorry, Pamela Dyson, I'm, I don't know the, the lady's name. Um, the brave lady to write that book. You know, um, very, very brave. And it's really done a great service because it's brought this out of me anyway and must help many people. Um, so I, I kept that inside me for a while not too shocked um and about three or four months ago um my daughter was um getting ready to go out and she was putting on makeup and um i said oh you look nice darling she said do i mummy she said i don't look like a prostitute do i i said what, what? <laughs> i went what she said one one day at mpa she was about 12 or 13. She was in her dormitory with two or three other girls. They were all at the same age. It was a Sunday afternoon and they were playing dress up and um, putting makeup on. And um, the house mother came into the dorm and said, get that makeup off. You're not to look like a prostitute. Wow. <laughs> Um, I, I, you know what, I understand the difference between anger and fury because fury came, comes from my stomach and I jumped up, I was so furious. So she's told me this when she's, she's 25 when she's told me this. Now this was said to her age 12 or 13. I couldn't believe it. Unbelievable. You know, and I'd been around the school for maybe seven years, yet they still managed to get something under the radar there. Furious. I said, no, darling. She's very good. She lets things go very quickly. It's probably me that's more mad about this than her. But, you know, I, it, it, because this is the point. The person who said that to her, her house mother, like a robot, this is not coming from her. I remember doing... I think it was the teacher training. There was this thing about you're not to make up, nothing needs making up. And the word prostitute, you know, it was Yogi Bajan's voice, basically. Yes. So somebody else is doing his bidding. Yes. That's what I don't like. Lucky is for the system. You know? Yeah. So when you really stop, think about this for a minute, okay? You've got. 12, 13 year old girls, they're having a laugh and they've got all, you know, their, their scarves and their, you know, and the makeup and somebody comes on like this and puts the word prostitute in there. What does that do to a young girl's creativity, to her imagination, to her dreams, to her femininity, 
you know, what does that do? That's right. She's carried that. You know, I mean, it really upset me. That's when I could feel this shaking kind of happen, which I think a lot of people had when they read the book. So this has gradually been creeping over me this last year, when I look at it now. But what really done it, okay, about a week ago, um, on the internet came up uh, something about uh, Beyond the Cage. And I remember seeing, oh, Beyond the Cage, or that must be relating to Pamela's book. And I thought I liked the word beyond. I hadn't looked at any of the stuff about the cage and what have you, but I saw an interview. It was a three hour interview with um, yourself. And I can't remember the gentleman's name, born in 1967 and his record was Black Dog, right? So I read the bio, uh, I waited three hours to listen to Black Dog. That was Siri Ronkar's video, by the way. Okay, well, listen, you know, I'm, I I don't actually concentrate very well, but for three hours, I watched that video and um, listening to that interview and listening to him speak, that was real. And it was like, I can't, it was multiple light bulbs went off. It was like a hood came off. Um, and this is what's really shaken me up, to be honest with you. It's what I, what I saw with myself and Shiv Charon, that was somebody on a pedestal getting lost in the teacher, all of that. But what I saw in that interview was the system. That's what came out of that for me, the system. So it's not just the teacher, it's the bloody teachings as well. So that's the system. But then I also saw, he, he mentioned something about it's the same system as the Marines, I think he said. The military, yeah. And then I realized oh, it's the same, yeah, the military. And then I realized it's the same system as that, as that, as that, as that. This this is the whole system. It, and I just, I, I was staggering around my house, you know? I mean, I just, Literally, the, I, I felt like the ground, I don't know. It was a real, real, I don't know what the word is. But so this system, and it flipped me back for so many things. And I thought, that system is like a conveyor belt. And the first thing about it is, it's not friendly, right? And then the next thing is compete. Compete, compete, compete. No friendship, competition. And I, yeah, horrible, horrible. I don't. I'm not a philosopher, okay. But yeah, I'm telling you that 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 interview that that took the lid off things. And I just, <laughs> probably any conversation could have done, but it was the authenticity and um, the honesty. And I don't want to feed that system. So don't send any more emails to my daughter because you might get one back from me. <laughs> Sorry, no, I'm going to cut that, please. <laughs> You're funny. 
I don't know if I'll cut it, but uh, duly noted. Um, and what I want to say, and I just want to point out and really highlight what you're saying is you're really emphasizing the difference between our personal trauma, our personal experiences that might have been traumatic while in the organization in any capacity, and systemic, institutional, environmental, and generational abuse. And what you're highlighting from that interview is he speaks because he's one of the youngest children, right? He's one of the first children born in, right? When all the original swapping, it's, it's a really worthy interview because you're talking about the level of real authenticity and not for or against, just this is what it is, you know? And it's a really yeah, yeah. crucial yeah. listen. But what I want to point out about what you're saying specifically is if we let ourselves listen to these stories and we allow ourselves to be cracked open and unraveled by them, we can't help but see patterns that reflect institutional and systemic abuse. And it's important, it's crucial, because when all of this cracked open in March 2020 with, with the book and then stories started flooding in the um, online Facebook group that's morphed into the Beyond the Cage group today. Um, Shiv Chudden and his wife put out a YouTube video. And they were one of the few, I mean, there was a handful of teachers coming out, but they put out a video and it wasn't in support of survivors. It was basically a, a bit of a denial video that said, we don't see any problem. The European system and the Karam Kriya school isn't based on Yogi Bhajan. And they just kind of did all this kind of maneuvering with words. I was quite disappointed in the video. I remember seeing, and I didn't know them personally. But what I will say is that a lot of Europeans kind of put, at least my notice of, the, of responses, was put into that category like, oh, we're different than America. We had a different relationship with YB. And... It's just really important to crack that illusion to understand that within the teachings and whatever schools have been established that got certified and named and praised by YB, there's a formula, a conveyor belt, as you spoke of, and the competition, the non-friendliness, the hierarchy, the silence, the, the secrecy, these things are encoded and embedded within the teachings and we can't continue to perpetuate good aspects of the teachings without taking the time to unravel and pull apart the predatory aspects of the same thing because they're enmeshed. We can't call part of it good and other part not good without really unraveling the messiness of that because predatory formula is all infused up in it. You know, they're like one thing Shiv Charon said, I don't know if I, if I said it, but from years ago, he said, you know, the Americans, um, you know, they, they were, they took Yogi Bhajan's teachings and they went off and created their own schools and they became like little kings in their own kingdoms. That's his words. Um, you know, it was this, I always had this image of the Americans that corrupting Yogi Bhajan's teachings. They took it and ran with it, you know. Um, and I remember Shiv Charan saying, you know, oh, y y y but Yogi Bhajan knew 
that the Americans were like that, you know, and that when um, when Yogi Bhajan was on his deathbed, he was surrounded by his students, but he was no fool. He, well, he was half dead, apparently, and Yogi Bhajan sat up and said, I don't trust any of you. Is that true? I have no idea. I'm like, okay, you know, like, you know, I mean, it's just interesting. Once again, again, mythological and stories woven, you know, like what makes his school different than what he's saying American teachers did then? Because he runs the common Korea school of Europe, right? Oh no! It's uh, this, this. This is special crap. That's that's kind of the thing to really watch out, isn't it, for organisations or individuals? The minute you start feeling you're special, you, you know, there ain't nothing new under the sun. There ain't it's nothing. Fascinating. What you're saying is going back to the formula of no friends competition. Wherever there's opportunities to create division, let's create it. European Americans, this group, this group. In, born in, not born in, you know, just all the ways in which div division, competition were created to where, again, it's going back to this deep level of of insecurity inside, like, oh, it's always my own fault. I'm not good enough. I, maybe I need another Kriya. I need another class. I need another sadhana. It's that original formula of not enoughness. Yeah, and I was guilty of it. I, you know, I, I took that on, you know, all the Americans, you know, um, and we did, I didn't really know any Americans, actually. So when I'm actually looking at my thoughts, then my prejudices and my resentment and yeah. my, oh, I'm better than them, you know, because I'm, you know, because Yogi Bhajan said, don't love the teacher, don't love me, love my teachings. I mean, we weren't getting the teacher, we were getting the teachings. Right. We were special. <laughs> we were really special. <laughs> It's horrible. It really is. And once again, just so important that we're all understanding every one of us can be susceptible to the longing to belong and to feel important. We're talking about fundamental human needs. And so when teachers or any sort of person in a position of power plays on the fundamental insecurities and needs, especially of a vulnerable population that's coming in with mental health or um, mm. abuse backgrounds, it's that much more astounding that these things are happening within the yoga of awareness, wherever it's happening on whatever continent it's happening in. You know, every now and then there's some celebrities that you see, you know, that are doing um, Kundalini yoga. And sometimes then I think, oh, wow, they've done all right out of it. And, you know, maybe it's a little tiny voice. Well, not actually not now, but I did for a while. I think maybe I wasn't, I didn't keep up. You know, I was never great at it anyway, so. <laughs> ding, 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 right? Keep up. Yeah, little, if you don't keep up, boy. it must be your fault. If you don't keep up, it must be fill in the blank, right? This is also very important because for a decade or so, I wasn't also, several decades, I wasn't involved in the community much. Of course, I had friends and connections. and um, But years later, to watch kundalini yoga get so popular and celebrities and all the things, you're very right. You start to question, wow, maybe maybe there is some validity. Maybe there is science to this, you know? And um, this is why speaking about all the formulas of pred predatory behavior that also exists within this culture is important. 
because there are going to be new students joining classes and teacher trainings, this isn't going to end, but it's our voices that gives the complete story so that people get a full perspective of the history, not just the painted picture that their teacher is creating for them. Mm -hmm. Whether that's in Europe or whether that's America or in Latin America or Mexico or wherever, Africa. You just bring up so many good points. Thank you. Like, you know, you're never going to get rid of, um, you know, bad teachers of any profession. I, I just don't think that's possible. They're, they're there to stay. But um, I think what's important is to speak, speak the truth, you know, however <clears throat> it comes. And it's kind of like, I hope it helps somebody. I really do. But it, I feel like it's kind of, kind of say, absolve myself of a responsibility. I've seen something that I don't think is right. And just to leave it be is it's not it's not right you know that's right and there's, yeah there's some wonderful people though it would be really nice if they could come together and you know some <laughs> well there are some very loving and compassionate people and a lot of people are listening and paying attention and allowing themselves to be unraveled and penetrated from this process and all we can do is keep uplifting and and um and sharing the truth it's shocking though it is shocking i mean like i hadn't been around it for a long long time and i've really been rocked actually these last few days it's really um it's surprised me you know it was hard to kind of figure out what was going on you know because i've got another life kind of thing it's like well what <laughs> so it's really shocking <clears throat> absolutely absolutely well, Jim and I can't thank you enough for, for giving us a lens into you and for sharing your, your history and experience and, and also vulnerably sharing your mental health um, background and, and concerns. And I just think it's, it's such a crucial point that we're getting the mental health that we need and that yoga or meditation or any of these things, while they may be able to help, um, and there's lots of other ways to support trauma, you know, to really get licensed therapy for people who really understand specifically complex trauma and PTSD is really necessary and needed. And as yoga teachers and as healers to, um, to not um, thwart those that come to us um, with beautiful mystical techniques, but making sure that they're getting the actual grounded therapy that they need from licensed therapists. Absolutely. And it's a slow process. That's the other thing. Um, that's been my experience, not for everybody, but when you come from a very, I don't know what the words are these days, is it, you know, dysfunctional place, it takes many years just to get kind of sort of normal, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah yeah be loving and patient with yourselves the un the the process is it's it's slow and it's our own our own process and while there are lots of alternative health things that can support us it's also really really important that we do start learning about the brain and we learn about how trauma works and how the body responds and how the nervous system responds and and that we're not riding a marketing wave of organizations that are trying to market themselves as trauma and shadow work 
but we're really talking about the history of predatory abuse in relation to these teachings so that we can extract the parts that are science and know the difference. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're so brave. Thank you, Thank you so much. Tell your daughter you too, as well. Um, I know you shared a song. Before we go into the song, is there any last thing you want to say before we wrap up? Yeah, um, well, I suppose my prejudice about the Americans, I have to be honest, you know, um, that um, when I was listening to a couple of your interviews, I thought, oh, they're lovely. I'd like to meet them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, kids. Yeah, for real. And the kids that were that I remember their faces well from MPA, and I really hope that um, yeah, that's what's important to me. To be honest, uh, you know, yeah, I do think of think of many of them. Yeah, beautiful. So tell us why you chose this song. The song you chose. Um, yeah, it just brings joy and um, a good feeling. And uh, you know, it was the song from one of the from the movie Dirty Dancing. You know, and I always felt that was missing from Kundalini Yoga <laughs> the World. You know what I mean? <laughs> I definitely know what you mean. <laughs> and definitely was missing. All right, this is the Contours. Um, and it's called Do You Love Me? So let's go ahead and hear this song chosen by Jiwen here. And here we go. Because I couldn't dance. You didn't even want me around. And now I'm back to let you know I can really shake them down. And that was the contours. Do you love me? Thank you so much for that lovely song for copyright purposes. We don't play the whole song, but you can listen to the Uncomfortable Conversations playlist on Spotify, and you can listen to all of the songs in their entirety. And Jiwan, I want to again thank you for sharing yourself in this place and giving us your story. This has been a, another episode of the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast, The Untold Stories of the 3HO Kundalini Yoga Community. If you'd like to contribute to this podcast, you can make a one-time or monthly donation at gurunishan.com slash uncomfortable conversations. To be a guest on the podcast, please send me an email at gn at gurunishan.com and you can subscribe and follow my work and writings there as well. Thanks again to all of our listeners who are sharing these conversations and allowing themselves to listen to them fully. I appreciate your support. We all appreciate your support. And thank you again for being here.